Hi everyone, I'm Patrick Foley, I'm from Labour Outlook, and I'm joined by striking junior doctor, Dr Andrew Myerson, who's just come directly from the picket, and he's here to talk to us about why they're fighting, the future of the NHS, and the struggle of NHS workers in general. So thank you so much for joining us, Andrew. No problem, thanks Patrick, thank you for having me. So, as I mentioned, junior, junior doctors are currently striking three days this week, uh, and one joint day of strike action with the BMA consultants. I know you come from the picket line. Can you just tell us a bit about the mood of the picket line, uh, the response you've had from the public and from other trade unions and solidarity activists? Yeah, um, again, thanks for having me. This is the sixth time that we have had to go on strike uh, during this year, during this this prolonged industrial dispute. Uh, it should never have gotten to this point. You see what happened in Scotland. The Scottish government said, you know, we don't want strikes. We want to make sure that we can continue to treat patients well and we can tr- continue to treat staff well. And they recognized the deep discontent among uh, among healthcare workers, especially after the pandemic, and uh, and they came to an agreement uh, that was that was amenable to the uh, the Scottish um, uh, BMA. And I'm a rank and file member of the British Medical Association. I'm not a negotiating team, and you know we'll have to you know I, I, I full faith in the consultant committee and the junior doctor committee to uh, to negotiate with the government. But it's been you know I think 140 days since the the consultants sat down with the health secretary and the government about pay. It's been you know, 180 days. Um, since the juniors have, have have discussed this, and and we have a government that just does not care about the state of the health system, and that's reflected. There's mounds of evidence for this. You know, you look at you know ten years ago, the NHS was was ranked the number one healthcare system on the planet, and then look what they've done to it. We have seven point seven million people on the longest waiting list in NHS history. It is it's it's shocking that you know one hundred twenty thousand people died on that waiting list last year just waiting for care. We have you know five hundred deaths every single week in this country. From delays accessing NHS emergency care. So that's people dying at home waiting for an ambulance, dying en route to hospital in a delayed ambulance or dying in our waiting rooms because we can't see them soon enough. We can't treat them soon enough. And all of that comes down to, you know, lack of resources. We, you know, the NHS is absolutely underfunded. Anybody that tells you, tell, tells you it's not is just grossly uninformed or they're lying. There's been 400 billion pounds that has been taken from NHS budgets over the last decade that should have been invested and, you know, that's the reason why the, the, the French and the German healthcare systems aren't collapsing right now, because they've had that investment over that time. Whereas the, you know, the, 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 this government has, uh, has, has pulled funding from, from NHS across the board. They have allowed the funding crisis to get worse. They've allowed the staff crisis to get worse. They have, you know, they have cut, you know, tens of thousands of, of hospital beds and never did anything meaningful to fix social care crisis. And so all of these problems are, you know, all of these problems led us into the pandemic. And so that's the reason why the, the 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 waiting list ballooned dramatically during the pandemic, from you know approaching I think it was like four point six four point seven million people on the on the waiting list before the pandemic, and then it just skyrocketed since. And that's because we had no resilience left, and that is an indictment of the poor health of the health system in the run up to the the, the pandemic. And you know it, it represents a gross failure of the government to look after public health. And so that's the context in which we're operating right now. And then you see, you ask, you know, healthcare staff to 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 show up and, and take care of patients during the pandemic, and we did our absolute best, you know. And two thousand of us uh, 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 of our colleagues died doing that. And so after the pandemic, now that you know that we're trying to to trying to get the health system back on track with a government that just doesn't want to do that. And so this is a, a long time in the making. Consider the the junior doctor strikes from twenty sixteen, when uh, a contract was imposed on us uh, by by Jeremy Hunt. And this is a person that has done enormous damage to the health system. 
and and he does not he's controlling the purse strings of the government right now and doesn't want to see an end to this crisis because they're using our labor dispute as a distraction uh, and to try to blame us and blame the nurses and blame all of the other NHS staff that are striking for their gross incompetence and in, in my opinion criminal grade neglect of the NHS and so you know when you have you know, uh, 13,000 UK doctors who, who are working abroad now um, because uh, it's just too difficult to work here. And the, 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 the pay and conditions are just terrible. We're seeing hemorrhaging levels of, of, of staff. You know, and we see on social media all the time. We see on, uh, uh, you know, on, on the, the trucks that run by our, um, our picket lines. You know, those billboard trucks that, uh, that they, they display images, ad- advertisements. Well, the, the Australian government is paying for, for, for those trucks to run by our, uh, to roll by our picket lines because they're recruiting us actively, heavily, uh, because they know how terrible the working conditions and the pay is here. And so after the pandemic, after seeing a decade of underfunding and underinvestment and, and, uh, and, and a government that just does not care about uh, patients, does not care about staff, and after the, the waiting list got to seven, over 7 million, you know, we voted to strike. And, um, and you see, you know, we had our six month ballot, uh, the initial one, and then we, we renewed that ballot recently. And, you know, 98% of the people voting, uh, you know, over 70% people voting, uh, voted to strike. There is, uh, there's great passion about this right now because, you know, we recognize that unless we can, 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 can fix the, the, the staff hemorrhage, then we're never going to, 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 to fix the NHS. We're never going to be able to deliver the patient care that we have been trained to do that we want to be able to deliver, but we can't because we have a government that just does not care about us, does not care about patients. And so this should never have gotten to this right now. This is our sixth time on the picket lines and the seventh coming up in, in October. And, you know, I am desperate. I'm supposed to start a shift. I was supposed to start a shift about an hour ago in A&E. And, you know, I, I should be there right now. That's what I'm trained to do. That's where I want to be doing. That's where I want to be working. I, I don't want to have to worry about this right now, but the government has put us in this position and has forced us to, to, to do this because there's nobody else that is going to stand up to this, this, this government to tell them that what they have been doing for the last, you know, 10, 13 years has been awful for public health, has been awful for patients, has been awful for NHSF. A really thorough roundup there. I mean, it's quite striking that we saw the government go from clapping our NHS workers to blaming them for for the crisis that we see today. Uh, yeah. And I've seen some 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 quite good statements from fellow health campaigners, you know, talking about minimum service levels with the new Tories minimum service levels bill coming in, saying, "Well, the, we've already passed that. You know, the minimum service levels haven't been reached in in normal conditions, let alone exactly. the conditions." Exactly. So it, the key, I'm guessing, the key demands then from from junior doctors, they're not. It's not just about pay. Then it's you know, it's about all those things you mentioned: staff burnout the future of our um, NHS. And just on that, you know, what are your fears for the health service if things continue the way they are without investment, with this sort of creeping level of uh, backdoor privatisation? What, what do you think is, is on the cards for the future of the health service if something isn't done? Well, you know, you can tell from my accent, I'm from the United States. And that is the extreme version of, you know, what private healthcare looks like. And, uh, and I have seen friends and family who have had their financial lives destroyed by healthcare bills in the States. There are, you know, over, over 500,000, uh, medical bankruptcies in the United States every single year. And 30 million people have no health insurance at all. And something like 50 million people are underinsured. So that's just, you know, terrible insurance. It's like, you know, catastrophic something that happens. And, you know, if you, you know, with this catastrophic insurance, You'll pay a massive amount of money. I think it's like ten thousand pounds before your before the the insurance company will will kick in and uh, and and pay for for the rest. That's the type of situation that we're looking at if we lose the NHS. And 
you know, you see the proliferation of private healthcare in this country. It's a booming market right now. And people are, the government is holding the population hostage because they refuse to invest in the NHS. They say, oh, look, the NHS isn't working because they, they engineered this crisis. And the, the design is to push people into private healthcare. And I, you know, I, I would love to know who is in, investing in these, in these private healthcare companies because I suspect that it happens to be a lot of people that are connected to the government that will vote for them. And you know, they, they believe that it is, it is good for economic growth, but they have no idea the type of devastation that it is going to, that is going to um, inflict on the health of, of this country. The NHS is a beautiful thing. And I love it dearly. That's why I fight for it. That's why I speak up about it. And it, this, this, this doesn't come from some, you know, some, some, not some socialist dream fantasy thing. This is reality. Ten years ago, you guys had the best healthcare system, the number one ranked one in the entire world. And then look what this government did to it. There's nothing wrong with the model that you guys have. It is the best, most efficient healthcare model that saves taxpayer money, that delivers the best results uh, for, for money. And we just need proper investment. And that starts with NHS staff, that starts with a government that cares about the future, that will plan long-term, not some short-term deal. And so, you know, we, the, the, the junior doctor committee is, is, you know, negotiating for us whenever the, go- the government will come to the table. But, you know, I want to see a long-term plan for the gov- for, from, from the government that will actually have a meaningful impact on staffing levels in the NHS. And that's why you saw the same, and the same thing is true with the, with the, the nurses, uh, the nurses strike. And the porters and the cleaners and the radiographers and our other other allied health professionals and the, the ambulance uh, uh, staff, all of us are desperate to do our jobs. We want to see a fu- fully functioning, you know, a properly funded, properly supported NHS that can deliver for patients, so that we don't have to to worry about these arguments because we have, you know, we have enough of on our on our plate already with the the, the difficult jobs that we have. Um, it's just we're, we're desperate for a government that cares about it. And I think patients should should care about that, too. And I think that's why we're seeing massive support from the public about this. Um, you know, nurses, the most trusted profession in the, in, the, in the country, we're not so far behind. And, you know, we are just being honest with the, with the public about, you know, the, the level of service that they're getting right now is unacceptable. Ten years ago, you could see your GP in, you know, in, in 24 to 48 hours. It's now taking over two weeks. You know, in A&E, you'd be seen in under four hours. It's now taking 15 hours in some cases. You know, it, your, your cancer referral 10 years ago would be, under, you know, in, in two weeks, it would be the two-week wait. And now it's taking many, many months. And we have the longest waiting list in NHS history. Again, it was, it was over 7 million before any industrial action took place. And, you know, they're using this dispute as a, to, to try to cast blame on us for all of that. But they need to own this. They need to, to own that they inherited the number one, you know, healthcare system in the world. And then ran it into the ground. Now we're performing among the worst in Europe, and it's just unacceptable. And so that's why we're fighting back because you know this is in, in all of our disputes. A lot of it is about pay because you know there shouldn't be any food banks in NHS hospitals, but far too many of them are having food banks because NHS staff can't survive. That's wrong. That is absolutely wrong in any time period, but especially after the pandemic. And so that's what all of these disputes are. They, it starts with the pay because we can't afford a cost of living, but then it's also about fighting for our patients and fighting for the future of the NHS. And that's why I'm personally striking because this is, this is we, we've, we've seen patients come to harm far too often due to governmental neglect of the health system, things that are happening outside of our control, outside of our communities, outside of our hospitals. And it's time for NHS to fight back, NHS staff to fight back. And that's what we're doing unprecedented levels of strike action from NHS staff but like you said unprecedented levels of public support as well 
Yeah, and I think so many people in this in this country will will have a personal story of an NHS worker, would be it a nurse or a doctor, who's completely impacted their life or the life of a loved one. And I I agree with you that is uh, that's coming through. You mentioned a few of them just now, things like investment uh, and tackling the staff shortages, but we have the party conference season coming up shortly. Yeah. So what would what would your key policy demands? I mean, I know you're a health campaigner as well as a striking junior doctor. So as a health yeah. campaigner, what would your key policy demands be ahead of party conference season? So I'm I'm very proud to march with the SOS NHS coalition, and that's a coalition of about 50 organizations, including Darcian, including BMA, including a bunch of other organizations that are all fighting for a a a, a you know a vibrant functioning NHS. And you know, and essentially, we are you know we are demanding that every single you know that every every party of government going on into this election recognize the extent of the problem, and that means you know, and, and that that means not ignoring that you know we have a ten billion pound backlog of emergency critical emergency um, uh, infrastructure upgrades that need to be made. That rack concrete issue with the schools, the the concrete that you know it's made of air, it looks like looks like an arrow bar, right? The same issue that's happening in schools with the underinvestment um, uh, in, in infrastructure, the same thing is happening in NHS hospitals. We have hospitals that are flooding, you know, and you can't see patients there. You have uh, hospitals that are that the roofs are, 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 are coming in and critical infrastructure upgrades that, you know, you could have a catastrophic failure at any point and that desperately needs to be upgrade, upgraded. And, you know, for staff working in those conditions, that's unacceptable. That represents, you know, a danger to them, a danger to the patients that they're caring for. And oftentimes you have to close a portion of the hospital to, to fix that. And that is having an impact on patient care. And so I want to see a, a, a recognition of, you know, the severe underfunding and the critical infrastructure upgrades that we need to make in the NHS. That's, you know, 10 billion pounds. But then there's, there's you know, many other issues with the NHS. You know, we have the, among the lowest number of, of scanners, uh, of uh, MRI uh, and CT scanners in this country relative to, to Europe. We have a massive staff crisis. We have a massive beds crisis. We have a massive social care crisis. Those four things, funding, beds, staff, and social care, those need to be addressed by the, by, by the incoming government. But generally, it is about funding the NHS properly, recognizing the problems that we face, being honest about them, finding you know, reasonable financial solutions to them. And there are, there absolutely are. And then also pay restoration for NHS staff, and then also um, uh, an end to uh, an end to this, this creeping privatization. Because private healthcare and privatization of the NHS are a couple a couple of things that are, are are have a parasitic relationship with the NHS. And so you see the growth of a lot of private hospitals throughout the country. Cleveland Clinic just opened up a massive hospital in the last couple of years uh, near Buckingham Palace. Uh, and that is, uh, uh, you know, th- that that represents the type of investment that you see from, you know, from from investors in the states wanting to come here because they see deep discontent among the people. And I don't blame I don't blame people that go to uh, to private healthcare right now uh, because they feel like they need it because they see that 120,000 people died on the waiting list last year. You see far too many people that are f- being forced, being held hostage by this government that does not want to invest in the NHS. These people are being forced into private healthcare, and we just saw this last weekend. That, you know, upwards of, you know, I think it was 900,000 or a million people in the last year have accessed private health care, emptying their life savings because of it, because of this. This is terrible for people's you know, personal financial situations, terrible for their health. And it's not good for the overall health of the country. Um, oftentimes in, you know, in these private health care uh, uh, hospitals, you will have NHS staff who are recruited, uh, you know, to, because they're paid more to go and work in these things. Uh, and it takes away from a clinician that could be working in the NHS. 
the answer to all of this is pay staff better, focus on the staff crisis, discuss the situation with NHS staff so that we can, we can figure out solutions that work well for everybody so that we can fix this crisis for NHS staff, for NHS patients, and actually improve the system. The problem is we have a government that is hell-bent on privatizing it, hell-bent on, 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 on destroying this public service and creating this two-tier system where the average worker has to, is forced to, to, go into, um, you know, to go into medical debt for the first time in this country and emptying their life savings in order to access private care if they, if they, if they feel like they need to. Or the alternative is just waiting for you know, years for, for care. While, you know, on the other hand, you have wealthy people who you know, go and get you know, world-class care, rapid access care, the type of care that we used to uh, expect and, and receive 10 years ago. And so we desperately need a new government that cares about the NHS, that, that values it, that values public health, and we'll fight for it. And that's what we expect from labor. That's what we expect from other parties that are that are that are running a serious uh, 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 um, uh, election campaign. And you know, it's something that has been sorely lacking from the current government for you know for thirteen years. Painting quite a terrifying prospect there, I have to say. You know, particularly as as we're all users of the NHS, this is you know this is yeah, us too. Yeah. Um, but I, for one, am glad that we've got people like you, you and others on the picket line fighting for the future of the Thanks NHS. So much. It does does make a huge difference. I think we're coming up to, to the end of our of our time, but have you got any any last final words to our viewers? Well, I just I, everybody's angry about the state of the NHS right now, and 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 if you look at look at how much money was spent during the pandemic, a shocking amount of money, billions of pounds. Rishi Sunak just wrote off fifteen billion pounds of 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 you know of funding of other things, and it shows how important it is to plan for a pandemic before the pandemic. We live in a world of, what is it, 8 billion people now? Something like that, yes? And there's going to be another pandemic. This is not going to be the first one. It was, certainly wasn't the first one. It's not going to be the last one. We are, this is going to happen again. And we desperately need a government that cares about public health, that finances it, and is not going to plan for a pandemic in the middle of the pandemic. Because when you do that, when you do things, and we do this, we see this in our lives, in every aspect of our lives. If you do things last minute, it costs a hell of a lot more. But if you plan ahead, then you can use your resources well, you can put the right, the right resources and people in place, um, and structures in place in order to protect people. And on an issue as important as public health, we desperately need a government that, that, t- that takes this seriously. And I hope that's what we will have with with uh, with uh, uh, the next government. Hopefully, you know, a labor or, you know, or, or other parties that take this seriously it is just so critically important. After 13 years of running this health system into the ground and seeing 300, you know, over 300,000 people dead from austerity, 225,000 people dead from from COVID. We can do so much better. It is a criminal grade neglect of our healthcare system on the part of this government that we need to that, that, that we are fighting against right now. And we are not going to stop fighting until the NHS is safe. Fantastic. Thank you, Andrew. And for anyone watching, there's a there's another round of strikes taking place from October 2nd to October 5th. So um, do get yourself down to a picket and, and show your support. Thank you. Thanks so much.